G'day and welcome to another episode of the Beyond the Fans podcast. And shockingly, we mistimed our Formula One mid-season review horrendously. So joining me is now featured Beyond the Fence writer and <laughs> Formula One Nostradamus, Tim Ray is back. How are you? I, I wouldn't say Nostradamus. Also, I think we timed the mid-season review correctly. It was the news that didn't time. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I mean... Yeah, actually, yeah, you're right. We waited so long, um, pretty much up until the Thursday nights before the practice at um, Belgium. Just like hoping, please, just announce a skerrick of news, please. <laughs> and yeah, nothing happened. Well, it's all happened now, so we have content, finally. Um, I guess the first thing we have to talk about Everyone knew it was coming, basically, but finally announced the uh, Iceman, Kimi Raikkonen, finally announces his retirement after 47 years in Formula One. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, like you said, I think we knew this was coming um, very heavily speculated in our mid-season um, review. But like, yeah, I mean, to be honest, he probably went on one, maybe two seasons longer than I would have anticipated. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's been a constant on the grid um, other than he's sort of where he was weird contractual sort of stuff after he left Ferrari. Um, And he had that sort of year or two rallying. Um, He's been pretty much constant on the grid basically the entire time I've been watching F1. Um, So obviously it'll be different without him. Um, At the moment, probably miss the team radios the most. (laughs) Um, But I mean, yeah, the, the most recent Ferrari world champion. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember a Formula One without Raikkonen. It's just, yeah, I don't know. It's you'd say it's the end of an era, but then you look at it and it's like, well, he hasn't really factored in the last. Well, since he left Ferrari, which was how long ago now? Um, and yeah, like it's sad, obviously, because he's such a, a stalwart of the grid and like a great personality or, or anti-personality, the Antichrist of entertainment. <laughs> I think um, once once Alonso's gone, then that's that sort of early two thousands crop is completely like detached from that. Um, well, you've got so there's still that still. sort of connection there. Oh well, Hamilton, but like yeah, but he was like a rookie oh seven oh eight. I'm talking like early, sort of like like Raikkonen finished second in two thousand and three. You know, that's eighteen years ago. <laughs> he was fight, <laughs> fighting for the world title, um, and obviously Alonso was world champion um, twice oh five oh six, and then Kimi won his in oh seven. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, like you said, um, it was good that he at least got that win uh, when he was at Ferrari, the the win in uh, Austin, because it felt felt like really, um, really <laughs> like he wasn't going to get it. Um, it just sort of, you know, that Ferrari's quote unquote illegal uh, streak. Hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, he was racking up the podiums, but never only got that one win. Um, but yeah, finishes his career, 18 poles, 21 wins, 103 podiums, pretty tidy. Yeah, not bad. Not bad for somebody just doing it as a hobby. <laughs> without the drink. <laughs> without the drink, yes. Um, obviously, Raikkonen finally announcing his retirement has that flow and effect. And I, I, I want to, we'll go to Bottas first, because he, he, I guess, writing was on the wall for Bottas at, uh, at Mercedes probably wasn't getting the results that him or the team 
expected on a consistent basis. He takes Raikkonen's seat at Alfa Romeo. Uh, what are your thoughts on on that fit for Bottas? I mean, I mean, I don't want to preface everything I say with saying like in the last time. That's where I sort of question where like where Alfa Romeo is at. And obviously Bottas is a very experienced, very hand race winner, obviously. Um, handy driver to have development-wise. Um, I thought it was interesting that sort of Mercedes, Mercedes definitely played a hand in trying to secure, help him secure a seat. Um, and certainly like a multi-year deal um, was probably the, not the most surprising, but the most notable thing out, out of that. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that's a good good signing for Alfa Romeo. They've, they've signed a guy that's been the front of the grid you know, for the last five years. Um, but I mean, it, it's this sort of thing I have with Formula One where it's like the way sort of the, the sport has changed in sort of like the last five or six years, at least with the Mercedes dominance, it seems like you're either a young driver sort of trying to make you, trying to find a seat to prove yourself to, to get one of the top, you know, three, four seats in I was about to say in the league, in the sport. <laughs> this um, league. <laughs> this league. Ladies and gentlemen, all caps, this league. Um, and then there's sort of like, you know, those the stable midfield drivers of which Bottas was actually already sort of part of when he was at Williams. Um, the last time they were, they were competitive, sort of competing for podiums. Uh, and then the absolute top, the title contenders. So it, I mean, obviously if he has the passion still to be in Formula One, of course, be in Formula One. Um, but I just feel, you know, there's similar to Vettel as well. Like it's, it's good to still have these guys on the grid, but there is a sort of point of like why, like obviously they're never going to factor for the world title again, um, barring insane sort of uh, reset from the 2022 regulations. Um, but I mean, yeah, yeah, I'm fine with it. I mean, I don't want to say personally, but like it put him in the same position. I probably wanted, would have wanted him to see him maybe go to IndyCar. We've seen Grosjean have an, an amazing resurgence. Um, he talks himself about enjoying sort of racing again now that he's competing for something. Hmm. I think if Bottas would follow in that vein, I mean, maybe he could, still could down the line um, and compete at the pointy end of, of IndyCar would be really cool to see. Do, do you think him going to Alfa Romeo tarnishes because he's worked so hard to build this legacy. And I think Bottas is one of those guys where you look at him and you go, obviously he's, you know, very good at what he does, but there's always that asterisk considering the cars he's had. And he's not, he's not walking into an Alfa Romeo team. That's going to be at the front of the grid by any stretch of the imagination. So do you think, even if he's only there for what, what two years is his deal? Um, if he's there for the length of his contract and that's it. And then he goes that two years might sully some of that considering the average race position he's obviously going to have. And maybe that'll weigh at least in the, the public group think of his time in formula one compared to his what, four or five years at, at Mercedes. I mean, yes and no. I think, Actually, it might be the opposite of that. Maybe the two years fighting in the midfield, and then he's now given the opportunity to have those, uh, like driver of the day type performances. Where, like, 
holy crap, Bottas put the Alfa Romeo in Q3 and then finished sixth. Like, whereas you don't really have that opportunity at Mercedes. You're expected to be on the podium. And if you're not, it's a, it's a failure. And that's sort of hurt. He's like a, been a noted Bottas hater almost <laughs> the last couple of years, at least where it's been obvious that I think Russell should be in that seat. But like, yeah, uh, now that he has that opportunity to exceed expectation, like lower expectations, I think it, it may actually be better for his reputation as a driver, like among the fan base in Formula One, at least. Um, I think there's, there's that dichotomy between the fans and certainly, you know, the the people making the decisions in, in F1 teams and the paddock in general, in terms of his ability. Um, but I think, yeah, like I said, if he, now that he's in a lower team and, you know, he has that opportunity to have these standout, like I said, holy crap, Bottas is here um, in that car. Um, those are the things that sort of people take attention of and, and pay respect to. Um, so I guess it's it's sort of flipped in that sense. How, how many times is he going to be able to say to all my haters, uh, while well, is that uh, Alfa Romeo? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's probably going to be zero. I mean, it would be sensational if he won, like, one of his first races with Alfa Romeo. It would just be insane. Um, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> no, on Alfa Romeo, before we move on to the big news, or the big yet obvious news, we might as well stick with Alfa Romeo and the other half of the garage. Uh, Giovinazzi, look, probably the only domino that hasn't fallen yet out of the ones that were kind of you know, threatening to fall. And it's probably knowing us, it's probably going to happen tomorrow. Um, but do you think his seat's under threat? Well, like you said, it's the last sort of, most other teams have, have retained their pairings, like it, where there was questions or they've already made the changes. So Giovinazzi is certainly the, the most under threat. Um, and it's looking like the last seat available for, guys trying to get into F1. Um, and yeah, I mean, with the credit to Giovinazzi, you know, he's been decent in a car that has lacked a bit, but also there's the, the thinking with Giovinazzi that's like, you know, he's sort of, what is he now? 23, 24, 25, that sort of range. It's like the, the now or never thing. Like he, he's either got a, start to perform and become the, you know, that solid midfield Hulkenberg type guy, or can he be a, a Leclerc science, you know, for Ferrari and it's, you know, Ferrari are locked into those two. Um, so the writing may be on the wall there. Yeah. You say the age thing, Giovinazzi is 28 in December. Well, there, there you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he looks younger. It's the hair. Um, but I mean, that said, now that the pressure is on, he's made consecutive Q3s, um, but he just hasn't had any luck in the race and he's still sitting on one point. Um, it's not what you want to see if you're trying to desperately defend your seat. Yeah. So who do you think comes into that seat then if Giovinazzi is probably on the way out? Um, well, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they retained him, but I think you're probably like a missed opportunity to... Like, given that G- what Giovinazzi has shown you, um, I think you're probably missing an opportunity not giving, uh, like you're missing the chance to, to see another young driver, given that you've, you know, you've um, tied up Bottas for a couple of years on the other side of the garage. Um, so, 
I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see Piastri in that seat, but for some reason, you know, a guy that leads F2, won F3 and won another junior series. Um, so three years in a row of leading and winning junior series just doesn't seem to be factoring in. And I think a bit of that's money related. Um, on the on the flip side of that money relation, um, Guang Yu Zhou reportedly has 30 million euros to, to pay for, for a drive at Alpha. Um, <laughs> And that's a ridiculous amount of money. That's like, what's that? Like $48, $50 million. Like, yeah, it's, it's tough for me to not see them take that. And I mean, he's second in F2, but there's also the, the fact that it's his third year in F2. Um, he's 15 points down on Piastri. Um, I mean, it wouldn't be a terrible drive. And obviously there are paid drivers on the grid already. Um, <laughs> But I think, yeah, there are several. Um, but I think given that there's sort of talk that Teo Porcher is like the presumptive alpha driver for 2023, and that's his seat, is sort of what's mucking up and making this sort of a hazy and not necessarily a quick decision for, for alpha. Um, and that might ultimately mean that Giovinazzi stays. Um as a but I mean, yeah, yeah, because it seems like, you know, Portra is very young. I think he's 17 or 18. Um, I think he's fifth in F2, his first year of F2. Uh, finished second in F3 behind Piastri. Um, and obviously he's a, he's a year or two younger. And he's just looking like he, he might be like the next sort of top tier talent um, coming through. Yeah, Portra is 18. Piastri is 20. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the you know the the talk around poor chair is sort of you know that Leclerc Russell Norris Verstappen type hype. Um, so it, like it's a different it's similar to like Leclerc and, and Russell. It's sort of the presumption that this guy once he comes of age is going to find a seat in Formula One. Um, yeah. So that seems to be like muddying the waters there. Um, and I mean, maybe there there are other guys as well. Uh, Callum Eilat finished second in F2 last year and now he finds himself in sort of no man's land. Um, Robert Schwartzman's in F2. Uh, Nick DeFries won Formula E. He, he won Formula 2 a couple of years ago. And then obviously Kubica replaced Raikkonen for the last couple of races. Um, although, I mean, Kubica's time is, other than being a, like a reserve, is probably done. Um, that's a, a tragic sort of way that his career panned out. Uh, but good to see him get back. What about you? You've missed a name on that list. One that I know you're crying out for a return. Uh, Nico Hockenberg. Um, I mean, I think I read something uh, a couple of days ago, maybe a week ago, that he's basically conceding that he's done in F1. Um, and I mean, that's... he For as much as you know, people like me and, and others sort of cry out for Hockenberg to eventually get his, you know, his chance. Um, he had a very good F1 career over like the better part of a decade, maybe maybe a bit longer, where he was in a solid midfield car, scoring solid points. Um, he, he was on pole once, unfortunately never got his podium. Um, r- reminds me a lot of Nick Heidfeld's career. Hmm. Um just yeah, another think, German that didn't win a race. 
Or did he get a, yeah. pole, a podium? Yeah, did did, did get a? I can't remember, but he was he was one that, especially when the scoring was like the top six and the top eight would would factor, sort of there. Um, but yeah, I mean he's a contender in in the loosest sense of, of the word. Um, I'd I'd say also another one of sort of my favourites, Stoffel Van Dorn. Um, I'm not sure whether he necessarily got a a, a fair ish shot in F1 he I guess he's also an outside contender but probably probably not at this stage sort of on loose terms with Mercedes um and I mean that's another thing you've got to the, the relationships also play into that uh relationships like I lot with Ferrari uh Schwartzman and Porcher uh but then also like the money with with Guang Yuzhou um but I, yeah I'd say at this stage it, it's probably looking like the money's going to win out yeah. All right. Well, obviously, uh, Raikkonen retiring means Bottas goes to Alfa Romeo, which means there's a seat open at Mercedes. And finally, I think, well, it's, you know, I don't know if there's a, a Mount Rushmore for worst kept secrets in sport, but <laughs> this would be up there. George Russell finally confirmed as a full-time Mercedes driver for next year. At long last. So do you um, want to take your victory lap now? <laughs> It's it's not a victory. I've said it's not a victory lap because this is very similar to when uh, I, I equate it to, to Luka Doncic. Yeah, <laughs> trying to take victory laps over Luka Doncic, and it's like when you see the talent like that, and it's so blatantly obvious, you can't like you know. I don't think people are, should be allowed to take victory laps over stuff <laughs> like this when it's it's so obvious. But it it is also refreshing to see them make the obvious choice like it would have been an absolute tragedy if you know things had played out and then russell never got his shot in the mercedes that would just have been it would feel to me like a, a massive lost opportunity like even before he got his shot um when lewis was out at the secure grand prix um i think the writing was very much on the wall uh and then it's i guess a bit of it plays into what lewis wanted um sort of stability with um, Valtteri and, and I guess a bit of part of that, knowing that he's probably that Valtteri probably wasn't going to factor into the, the title um, moving forward. But yeah, it's it's great to see the the young talent um, elevated, and you know Mercedes taking the risks that that paid off for Ferrari when they elevated Leclerc, that paid off for Red Bull when they you know when they backed Max. Um, that's the way F1's gone, and I think this will be good for Lewis as well. Um, Russell's going to push him to, to another level that perhaps Valtteri isn't, but then also, or well, Valtteri isn't at the moment, but then also the, like Lewis needs another car there for Mercedes to dictate strategy. And that just has, that's been the biggest down, downfall of Bottas recently. Yeah. And I mean, you look at what George Russell has done with, you know, the hot wheels that he's currently driving. <laughs> and it, it would have been an absolute, slap in the face really to <laughs> the integrity of the whole sport. If he didn't get this, <laughs> if he didn't get that drive next year. He's been such a good sport about the whole Williams thing as well. I think in his position, he could have gotten very, I think other drivers may have gotten a bit more disillusioned. I mean, maybe the sort of mirage, the, I don't want to say mirage because it's, it's, you know, it's come to fruition, but the, the dangling of the Mercedes seat being there has kept him in check. But like he's certainly, it's not like he's a Mercedes driver 
um, thrown through driving for Williams. Like he's embraced full, he's a Williams driver. Um, he has a Mercedes tires, obviously, but like, he's certainly, you know, it's been a great sport about it. Um, you know, not necessarily getting overly frustrated publicly about being at the back of the grid for the better part of three years. Hmm. Well, two, two and a half years because this year. <laughs> well, yeah, this year is that the the Williams in qualifying trim looks fantastic, or at least with with him there. But we've seen Latifi sort of bring it on now too. I think the the influx of the um, is it Derilton money is starting to you're starting to see sort of that now. Yeah, um, and it's it, you know it's good to see it and a traditional F one stable like Williams get you know get back to to form. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, big fan of Williams. You know, big Williams guy, me. <laughs> um, anything else on Russell? I mean, I, th- I think, again, the regulation changes next year may, may throw a bit of a spanner in the works, but I think he's going. He's still going to embarrass Mercedes for, for waiting so long. <laughs> um, I mean, or, we'll, we'll talk about it a bit later, but the, the qualifying in Belgium um, and them not announcing before that, <laughs> I think made him look a bit silly. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think that may be a thing moving forward. Like, okay, maybe, especially if Max ends up winning the championship and Mercedes don't win the constructors. Um, I think it may, may make Mercedes look a bit silly. Yeah. All right. Some other little hits on the grid. Uh, Alex Albon, notably returns to take Russell's old seat at Williams next year. Uh, the odd part of this whole deal is obviously Williams is a Mercedes-backed team currently, but Albon keeps his Red Bull affiliation. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, that was a big question sort of when it was announced. It's like, how is this going to work? Because I think uh, there were reports that Toto was very angry that Williams would consider, a, a you know, basically developing a Red Bull talent over, you know, there, there are plenty of Mercedes guys looking for drives next year. Um, De Vries being at the front of the list. Um, so yeah, that, that's sort of an odd wrinkle to it. Um, but I mean, I mean, yeah, I get, again, it's Albon has like, it, it seems odd to say because he's so young and he's only had a couple of seasons in Formula 1, but he's already had, like, the full cycle of, a, of an F1 career. <laughs> he's not that young. He's my age. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, are you younger? Yeah, yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, um, well, For he someone who's 25 who's had, he's been, like, rookie of, like, you know, a prize rookie to washed veteran in the space of two years, yeah. Exactly. Um, and now he's got the... The return, the, the Kvyat return. Uh, oh, where's Kvyat? Oh, let's bring Kvyat <laughs> back. Uh, what? I've been meaning to look at what Kvyat's been doing this year. Uh, <laughs> Russian, Russian Grand Prix this weekend too. Hopefully they, they get him out. Um, well, you know, uh, Drive to Survive won't have anything about him. <laughs> I mean, he could win the world title and there'd be nothing. Uh, <laughs> in in um, Yeah, well, yeah, you... no, you go. <laughs> I was just—I was going to basically, I think, say what you were going to say. Uh, oh, okay. I was, well, I was going to ask: um, Do you think Albon deserves this return? Yeah, I was going to start saying like, I, I'm not sure to be honest. Like, he probably had an unfair go of it the first time round. Like, he was decent-ish 
or good enough in the Toro Rosso. Um, he sort of he was in the right place in the right time to get elevated to to Red Bull. Um, you know, I guess Red Bull expected a lot from Pierre Gasly. He was another guy with sort of that. Um, Maybe not ultimately top tier hype, but you know, very good driver, race winner potential. Oh, well, he ended up filling that. Um, but you know, race winner hype. Um, Simon, yeah, give him a go again. Personally, I probably would have gone gone with someone else. Um, but I mean, yeah. that uh, that Red Bull backing does wonders. Um, I think for me, the fact that Albon, I mean, he. He's obviously shown that he's good enough for F one. That that's not that's not a factor here, whereas it, it may be with other drivers. Um but he's been racing in DTM this year, the the German touring cars. Um and he has one one win from twelve races and six, six sits sixth. Um however the leader of that series is a Red Bull junior, Liam Lawson, who is I think he's like I'm not sure I think he's coming like third or fourth in F2 or maybe he's had a couple of wins anyway. He also had, a, a, I think a disqualified win that would have jumped him off a lot, but it's just interesting to me that, you know, Red Bull would uh, factor in bring, giving Albon another shot over admittedly a really young guy, but he's not even necessarily the, the top of their juniors anymore. Again, he's already had that cycle. So it is odd. Um, but I mean, he absolutely has the potential to be a, solid midfield guy it's just i guess given the the way the sports changed i guess you, you're looking at giving those those lower lower tiered seats on the grid to guys that potentially can be the the world champion yeah um, and i'm not sure williams are really doing that with either side of the garage which is at least try to do it with one is sort of like the way if I was running an F1 team, that's probably what, like I mean, the realities of money and, you know, the way it works, who's available and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be honest, it's a pretty uninspiring driving lineup for, for next year. And that's yeah. not even necessarily a disrespect to Latifi. And he's been decent in the last couple of weeks, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's our bonnet. Like it's not a, it's not the the dream team, you know. It's not the one that's going to bring fans through the gates. Uh, it's not. Yeah, you're right. It's not super exciting. No, no, <laughs> not at all. A <laughs> uh, couple of quick ones to end that little section. I guess on the news that we we're meant to have, what two three weeks ago. Uh, <laughs> Yuki Sonoda retained by Alpha Tauri. I I don't think this is a massive surprise. I know some people. We're kind of umming and ahhing about whether Sonoda would be retained, but I think you know the, the way AlphaTauri's sitting could probably afford to give him another year just to assess him. I don't think he's had the best luck, and he's made some pretty you know rookie mistakes, but I don't really see the alternative for them at this stage. Yeah, well, I mean, similar to what I was just talking about, he's a guy at the beginning of his sort of rookie cycle. Um, the, the you know the promise is is there. Um, I think actually it was Yuki himself who sort of expressed. Um, I think you get very very. It seems to me you get very honest stuff from him because English is sort of his second language. So maybe it comes out a bit different to what he's <laughs> trying to to say. But like he he sort of said that he was very surprised that they retained him and particularly so early. <laughs> um, I think obviously the the Honda 
um, relationship there is a big part of that. Um, but I mean, I'm, a, I'm not a big fan of elevating guys early like that and then not giving them time. Yeah. Um, like you've got to have at least at least two seasons to sort of, you know, he's still finding his feet. Um, mm. Hasn't been great since the break. I think he's finished like 15th. Um, I think there were retirement in there and a DNS. Um, after, I think, wasn't he? He was like sixth in Hungary before the break. Um, so, you know, it's a sort of boom or bust. Oh, Hungary was a sense. bit of a cooked race though. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, the, the potential's there, but also, yes, he he is costing that team a lot because he seems to be spinning and into the wall. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, he he can certainly turn it on. Um, and there's something, there's something there, at least, that he, de- you know, he deserves a couple of seasons. Yeah, and the other news, non-news, Aston Martin retaining both their drivers for next year. Vettel, I don't think it was any any uh, shock, but you've got in brackets here, shockingly, they're keeping Lance Stroll. I mean, yeah, it's just it, everybody knows that it is what it is. Um, there's that they are spending a, a ton of money um, in terms of building new factories, potentially supplying engines. Um, there's there's a real chance that you know the next four or five years that Aston becomes a a powerhouse um, if they can nail the regulations with that sort of financial backing that maybe we've got another you know front running team here um, and it's sort of I think it's Vettel's turned out to be a, to be a great pick with sort of the direction that the team is coming um, from that sense and I guess telling on me a bit sort of I was at the same sort of spot with with Seb as I was with Bottas sort of now thinking like, you know, is he, uh, in terms of when he, Ferrari said they weren't going to retain it. It's like, well, what has he got left to do in the sport? We've sort of seen, you know, Seb has become the, the dad of the grid. Um, <laughs> so he's always with Mick Schumacher. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but like anytime sort of Haas or F1 or Aston put out stuff of like guys arriving at the, at the track, it's, it's always Mick and Seb. Um, hmm. And obviously, yeah, he's become, you know, he's one of the leaders in in the paddock. But yeah, um, there's a lot happening there on the financial side. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's interesting to me to see, will be interesting to see how long the stroll thing sort of lasts um, and how committed Lawrence will be after that. That is sort of like the question mark there, I guess, if if any. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like you said earlier, there's a few paid drivers on the grid. Uh, none, <laughs> none more so, or maybe Mazepin, but yeah, none more so than the Lance Stroll, who's at least shown bits and pieces well, the, the thing, throughout his career. Stroll certainly has has shown glimpses of being worthy to be on the grid, whereas Mazepin is no, it's a, it's a little different. Granted, he's in a severely under like I mean, you called Worms Hot Wheels earlier. What what is the the Haas? Um, it's it's Roblox or what's that like? <laughs> it's it's got square wheels, certainly. <laughs> um, it's it's no, the house is one of those cars with the zip cord that you pull back and you just. I thought, I thought you were going to say the house is a Beyblade. No, oh, no, they wish. <laughs> Actually, the way he drives it, it is a Beyblade. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> Always spinning, just slamming, spinning, <laughs> yeah, spinning and slamming into others. His teammate. I think actually, actually, on that, yeah, he's the relationship there has just not it's like yeah and it's very openly sour 
like the comments and there's no like subtweeting. It's all straight. It's like, yeah, I don't think this relationship's going to work. It'll be interesting to see what happens there given, I mean, both of them have significant backing um, for different reasons. Um, Schumacher, obviously that he won F2, but also that the, I mean, you can't ignore the name. Uh, and then Mazepin, you know, father's the basically bankrolls the title sponsor. Um, Oligarch. <laughs> yes. I mean, for, for Gunter Steiner's sake, I hope they're decent next year. Cause he, I mean, he's going to go completely gray. Um, <laughs> yeah. He, he deserves to have a decent car. Um, <laughs> and I, I mean, to be honest, yeah, I, I don't know how Gene, how long Gene Haas is going to stay interested. I think I've said this before. I don't know how long he's going to stay interested in F1 if they keep putting out performances like this. Um, I was thinking about it earlier. It's like if, with the Mazepin basically bankrolling the team or to a certain degree, like why don't they just buy the team off him? Um, that, I don't, that may not <laughs> may not necessarily be uh, far off that. Yeah, so it's going to be Mazepin F1 team. They'll just enter. They'll enter one car. Yeah. Or maybe they can get Kvyat. Oh, now we're talking. Oh, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> All right, let's move on. We've had three vastly different races, but three very interesting races or race weekends in general. Uh, in the case of one of them, um, let's start with with Spa. Uh, it, it basically was a Spa at points <laughs> at points throughout that weekend. Um, where do you want to start with this one? Well, I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, it was, it was wet in capital letters. <laughs> <laughs> qualifying was great, though. I'm a big fan of sort of wet qualifying or changing conditions qualifying. I think it makes it a little bit more exciting. It levels out the playing field somewhat. Um, well, I mean, we saw that. Uh, with Russell sort of dragging the Williams up into P2. Um, and actually on, on that, I was watching a like a comparison video on YouTube between his lap and Max's lap. And it was literally the, the final corner, um, what they call the bus stop chicane. Um, yep. although Another one. Yeah. Although it's certainly less bus stoppy than it used to be. Um, yeah, that was basically the deciding factor between a Russell what turned out to be a, a podium and race win would, would have been a race win over Max. Um, a ridiculous performance considering the car and like one of the best, like given, given that, I think I said at the time, it, I'm struggling to think of a better performance from a young driver, like given the car, like sort of pound for pound wise since like uh, Vettel won in a Toro Rosso at Monza. Um, just a really special lap. Yeah, on that rain and on the wet qualifying, what were your thoughts on, I guess, Q3 going ahead? Because there was a lot of a lot of discourse on the internet during and immediately yeah. after uh, Norris crashed at, at yeah. wait, let me get this, at Eau Rouge, or Radion, Rouge? sorry. Radion, yeah, that's Radion, actually. Um <laughs> No, the, I think I, we were talking at the time of it and I'm saying like, I'm not, yeah, I think you were saying like, yeah, red flag, surely that this can't, and I'm thinking, and it, like literally as like Norris has gone off, I'm like typing to you, I'm like saying, yeah, I'm really surprised this is happening. Um, and it was really unfortunate the way it worked out because Lando was probably on on route for pole. He seemed like the most dialed into the conditions. Um, 
Well, but you can't yeah, be dialed I mean, in if you're putting it in the wall, mate. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, hindsight, obviously. Um, probably shouldn't have gone out. Um, but on the same token, he, he is the one that pushed it, so... Yeah, exactly. He he was willing to go. I mean, he's a racing driver. Like he, you got to go for it. Um, obviously, Vettel was very animated on the radio. Um, and I mean, what I was sort of alluding to earlier, he's become like one of those big vo- big voices um, later in his career. But yeah, like I said, he was willing to push it. Um, you know, the, the, if the conditions were the same and there weren't an accident, we're not talking about it. Um, that's an odd thing to say, but like it's sort of the reality. Yeah. Um, I think the the bigger and more consequential decisions were made on the Sunday in regards to to the weather. Yeah, the, the, it was a great race. Um, I personally, <laughs> so what races are usually eleven p well the European ones eleven p.m. Uh, kickoff here. Um. Yeah, I, I waited until about I think quarter past twelve, twelve thirty, and then I was I called it uh, happily, <laughs> happily for me because it ended up. I you stayed up obviously. I think did you? Well, I've got to got to take my victory lap for the Russell podium. That's that's <laughs> literally what kept me like. Also, I, like if there was going to be like a, a two lap sprint, I figured it, it would be uh, there would be a lot of risk taking, but like yeah, it was looking you know, for most of that, like there probably wasn't going to be a race. Like that was dismal. Well, what time conditions. did it actually, did they do the procession? Well, it would have been like three or 4am. Oh Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's just gearing up for, for the NFL season a couple of weeks beforehand. Um, yeah. We well, meant to get up for the NFL, not stay up through the NFL. <laughs> you meant to get up for the cup. True. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think overall, like, I'm fine with them staging a quote unquote race to at least get something out of the weekend so am I. and and reward the most competitive session. Yeah. That's probably it's reasonably fair to the guys that qualified, but probably the least to Lando because he was the one that bore the initial consequence of the conditions. Yeah. Um but yeah, in general I'm fine with half points. Um I know a lot of people probably have more issue with them calling it a quote-unquote race. Um, and I'm probably a little bit more biased given that it ensured a, you know, a George podium and <laughs> Ricardo getting his best, or to that point, his best ah, yes. uh, finish of the season in fourth. Um, although I guess a little disappointed that, you know, I was thinking maybe that was the time for the podium. Yeah. Um, particularly, you know, if the, the Williams was going to be vulnerable uh, in, in racing conditions. Yeah. Um, but I mean, all in all, obviously they they made the decision in in light of safety. Um, yeah, especially considering what just... happened at that exact track two years ago. Oh, exactly, and also just the spray you you can't see anything, and it's in terms of that, it's probably the most dangerous track. Like, no, I think I think they showed the onboard for I forget who it was, but when you're behind another car, and obviously the way the wet tires are. They yeah. shift up so much water. I forget what the actual measurement is, but they're designed to basically pick up water and spray it off to the side, you know, yeah. effectively to clear the like to clear a, a dry spot, like a dry line. Yeah, exactly. And then, um, yeah, the onboard from the guy behind, like, it was just you could see the blinking light of the car recharging battery or whatever it's doing, and then that was it. 
And you can only see those in like breaking, yeah. breaking points. Like it's, it's not, I think I'm not sure who said it. It might've been Alonso, maybe Yocon saying like the spray is just to a level where you're not racing. You're just sort of like trying to nurse the car around the track. Like, I don't think anybody would be making moves or if they are making moves, they're not like racing moves. You're just sort of predicting. So like, yeah, in that, in that respect, I'm not sure what type of quote unquote race we would have gotten if they just let it go. Um, but I mean, yeah, the visibility has been always been terrible at Spa in those sort of conditions. And I mean, it's just that part of the world, um, in the Arden. Um, hmm. but yeah, there, there have been some awful crashes at Spa. The beginning of the 98 or 99 race was just that, you know, it's like a 10 to 12 car pileup. Um, the, a not- like notably a, like a spray related incident was, um, I think, Michael Schumacher was leading a race by a ridiculous margin. Um, and he's trying to, he's, he's trying to overtake a, a back marker in the era before blue flags. And then uh, David Coulthard slows down on one side of the track. Schumacher thinks he's on the other side of the track and they just, he just drives straight into him. Um, mm-hmm. And that's sort of the, the typical sort of in those conditions at Spa. It's just, yeah, you're just driving blind. Well, my dad, who's been a Formula One fan since, you know, the Cretaceous period, sent me a photo um, that <laughs> Big weekend. Big fan of Fangio. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the 1985 revisited. And it's a photo. I have no idea who the driver is. Um, but yeah, it's the, the spray on it, it. It looks like it's a, um, like in Mario Kart, when you know your, your car turns into the bullet and it's got the smoke from behind. <laughs> it just looks like a solid vapor trail. But yeah, uh, anything else on Spa before we move on to an actual race? Well, I mean, yeah, that, that's it. That's about it. I mean, it was a real shame for the fans that stuck around for, you know, the entire time. Um, and also, I mean, it's, it's a shame given the, the way the schedule works that they couldn't have just stuck around for a, for a Monday race. Um, I'm not, uh, I probably would have preferred that rather than what happened. Um, but obviously just given the realities and the logistics, even, you know, between like two of the closest races on the calendar um, in terms of distance between, um, yeah, it's a shame that that couldn't happen. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to a real race. Uh, the debut, the, uh, well, not debut, the, the return of Zanvoort a year later than expected and planned, but yeah, fun weekend. I think it actually turned out better that it was the, like a year later because then you get this, you know, Max is fighting for the world title, ends up winning the race. Um, just ridiculous scenes. Um, I, I loved how with everybody breaking the flares that like you couldn't, there was the similar visibility to Spa. You couldn't see like half of the because <laughs> all that orange smoke like filtered onto the circuit. Um but yeah, that was wild. And I think also sort of um, emphasized by the fact that it's one of the liveliest and biggest crowds we've seen since sort of COVID quote unquote ended, um, at least in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, but yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, I'll be honest. I, for some reason, I've just, this weekend went by in a blur and I don't actually remember any of it. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember there was a lot of red flags. In every session other than the actual Grand Prix, um, which is a bit of a shame. I think Zanvoort being an, an older school circuit 
uh, it's it's a little hard to overtake in the in the modern cars, given they're just they're so damn wide, um, and the, the dirty air is so much more powerful than than you know the last time they were driving there in the the late seventies. Um, I think was it Nicky Lauda was the last one that won a Dutch Grand Prix. Mate, you were um, there. <laughs> I wish, um, but I mean the track itself is incredible. It's it's my favourite. Like to, it just feels like a roller coaster. It's a slingshot. The, those banked corners are amazing. Yeah, um, the fact you can take multiple lines into them. Um, it's yeah, the, like granted, it may not necessarily give you the best wheel to wheel racing. Um, we saw plenty of times it's just so much difficulty in cars trying to pass. Yeah, I think that's like I said, that's a. It's also a symptom of where Formula Formula One's at at the moment. That they're, they're trying to rectify that moving forward. Um, yeah, I think it was more it, of a like obviously not knowing what to expect. It was more of a procession than I thought it was going to be, just yeah. given the nature of the the, the speed of the track. Uh, but yeah, it was still fun to watch them go around it. Well, yeah, I like the, the. I guess the the challenge of the circuit is that you you can't go off anywhere. That's you know the there's the kitty litter, the gravel the grass, like if you make a mistake, you'll be punished. And that's sort of the big, uh, that's the big knock on more modern tracks or tracks that have been changed recently, like um, cough, cough, poor card. Um, yeah. The, you know, I like circuits like that, um, that, that, will, that punch mistakes. Uh, and I mean, we saw that through basically every session other than the Grand Prix. Um but that said, some of the moves that were made were pretty spectacular. Perez made a couple on the McLarens. Um, and yeah, it's Verstappen, pretty impressive win overall. Um, maybe might have been a bit... That Lewis was thrown everything. I, I find this probably a, a more impressive win for Max than he's had even by the bigger margins, just given that Lewis was throwing everything at this trying... You know, they were trying for undercuts. Uh, they were trying to have Bottas hold him up just wasn't working um you know he's doing max is pretty good on the tires and you know just come through when he's home race that was pretty awesome yeah sorry i was on mute because i was shifting around when you were talking about paul ricard do you are you trying you trying to tell me that paul ricard and its assembly of various colored yoga mats around the outside is not conducive <laughs> to entertaining mistakes i mean there was a great race this year but like Damn! Can we at least change the layout? Like there, you keep tell every year they keep telling me there's like 168 thousand you know ways that you can drive poor Ricard, and we managed to find the most boring one every <laughs> single year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, finally, on Zandvoort, the Orange Army. It was cool to see them actually in the Netherlands. Yeah, for for once they seem to invade everywhere, uh, particularly Hungary, Austria, and. Uh, Spa, Spa yep. um, but yeah, it was good to reward those fans with a home race. Um, I'm big fan of seeing that they had these massive car parks for there, and then there was also the bike car park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, oh, I I was talking to someone this week that weekend, um, and I forget the statistic, but and the Netherlands, you've obviously you've not gone, um, but I have, no. so I, I feel qualified to talk about this. Um, yeah, Amsterdam, the right of way in Amsterdam goes bikes, then cars, then pedestrians. Uh, and I don't know if that was just the tour guide taking the piss that day that we went out on the bike tour, 
Um, but there was a lot of bike traffic and every street had a dedicated bike lane that was, you know, at least a couple wide. And then, yeah, someone was telling me that I don't want to say 90% because that sounds high, but it, it probably is true. But 90% of the crowds that weekend or X percent uh, that was quite high were actually riding to the to the track rather than driving. Yeah. I think that was in like the little pre, like, and like, you know, the little, they have like the F1 intro with the theme song, but then they have like the, where they talk about the corners and like turn one where we saw Center and Prost battle in 198. Like, yeah, you know, that little thing. I think that was one of those little fact things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, just a couple of other things from that weekend. Gasly P4, another awesome performance, dragging that car up the grid um, and doing it. If you, if you have, if you finish fourth and in a car like that and we don't see you on TV, it's been a pretty impressive weekend. Yeah. Um, not really troubled. And then also I, I'd forgotten until this point, uh, Bottas told, Valtteri and James, please abort the fastest lap attempt. And then he set the fastest lap. (laughs) He did try though, didn't he? Supposedly he tried to slow down and then Lewis had to pit to get the point back. Of course, that was the first weekend after George was um, (laughs) announced for Mercedes. Oh, that was great. It was. Uh, Was that all? Because I want to get to the next race. Oh, cool. We all do. That's what the people... I'd be waiting for. How good was Bottas in the sprint? <laughs> the whole weekend. I mean, it was a remarkable weekend at, at the Temple of Speed in Monza. <laughs> you know, the Italians really know how to. I'm waving my fingers in a pinched manner right now. <laughs> um, I, I knew the weekend was on. With, I knew we were on for something when they had the 100 meter sprint winner from the Olympics, Lamont Marcel Jacobs, on the start line. Just in this yeah, ridiculous think... pose in front of all these cars. That's <laughs> oh, when I yeah. knew we were on one. I think they had Bolt there too. They should have raced. Oh, it was Bolt? I didn't see Bolt. I saw a photo of him in somebody's garage. Oh, um, okay. There you go. But yeah, obviously the, the fanfare around the, the Tokyo champion. Um, but yeah, like I said, what a what a weekend for um, Valtteri Bottas. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, let, let's talk about Bottas before we go on to the obvious what we're going to I, th- talk I think about. we should, because to be honest, he's probably the driver of the weekend. Yeah. 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 Well, like he, um, he practice, he looked, you know, probably the quickest qualifying, the, the, the redacted qualifying or the shortened qualifying that they do on a sprint weekend. Uh, he was comfortably, you know, the fastest. And then that sprint race, he was pretty unrivaled. He just took off. Um, it's a shame he couldn't have a weekend like this before that announced that um, he wasn't going to be driving. You know, he wasn't good enough for the, to drive for that uh, for Mercedes anymore. But yeah, um, I, I'm not really joking when I say driver of the weekend. No. no. Um, if he didn't have the engine penalty, I don't think we'll be talking about what we're going to be talking about for the next. Ah, next but minute. them's the brakes. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean that's unfor- I mean that's out of our hands. You know that he, that he knew that that was going to happen going into the weekend. Yep. So there's nothing we can do about it. Yep. But yeah, Bottas pretty remarkable weekend. Um, you know, for as much as we sort of take the piss out of him when when he's not up there and he should be there. Yeah, know, it was a pretty great weekend. Yeah, and then even obviously starting from the back of the grid, not to spend too much time on Bottas, but starting at the back and then finishing. Third in third, the end, uh, third, for, yeah. well, fourth on the track, but obviously Perez is 
penalty. Yes. Uh, um, well, I forget what that was. Some, some were. I, I mean, everyone was worried that he was going to win the race. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that, I, was, just, I was. Yeah. I was trusting the tie deck. Um, he had to. He had to. He had to take a lot out of it to sort of claw back up there. Um, yeah, I, mean, I, think... I don't know why we're not talking about who won the race yet. Like we haven't mentioned it yet. Oh. Like are we talking like it's some sort of spoiler? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you haven't watched the race yet, pause now, go watch it, and then come back. They're not going to we'll, believe we'll, we'll allow, that we'll allow Robert Kubica won the Italian Grand Prix. <laughs> <laughs> Nicholas, no, Nikita Mazepin came nineteen. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh... What, what, what do you call it? Redemption, you know, vindication. Every, jingoism. Um, like he didn't, I mean, to be honest, he didn't even need this, but holy crap, it happened. Like <laughs> it doesn't usually happen. Daniel Ricciardo won a race. doesn't happen usually like this either, where like the, the, the third or fourth best car on the grid wins purely on pace and not sort of aided by, like obviously, there's the Bottas thing, but he had a penalty. He was starting from the back. He like obviously, Verstappen and Hamilton come together, but they were they were behind him. Daniel got Max on the first corner. Granted, there's the weird thing where starting second is sort of better than starting first at Monza. Um, they I, it's been a thing for years, but they made it to fix that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it's not just a you know like a, a Gasly or an Ocon win. Like this is a genuine win on merit like on pace that's mm. astonishing a one two for mclaren even um remarkable yeah and it's not like uh mclaren like you said they didn't luck into the the win ricardo and norris were both ahead of um verstappen and hamilton was norris ahead i think he was norris squabbled with hamilton i think hamilton got ahead of him and then no, I no Norris was behind them. Oh, okay. Um, but, well, but yeah. So Ricardo at least was, you know, he he cleared them, helped yeah. by the fact like that the... they both had terrible pit stops. Yes, but I think he still um, would have cleared them regardless. It just would have been closer. It certainly it would have been. I don't want to say a much more exciting race. Maybe for the neutrals, it would have been a much more exciting race. Yeah, but the had... neutrals don't. They, I don't care about the neutrals. <laughs> yeah, that would have been interesting to see. Um, also had Max sort of bided his time on Hamilton would have been interesting to see how long that squabble takes and yeah. how that impacts Max or the winner of that squabble's tires in terms of going on to try and challenge Ricardo. Yeah. Well, but, yeah. the incident watching the incident live, I think I thought, you know, maybe six or one half a dozen of the other racing incident, you know, maybe Hamilton cut him off, but then, yeah, you watch the replay and you see the stewards report and, you know, what they uh, eventually handed down and yeah. you go, yeah, fair enough. I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd agree on that assessment that it's a racing incident. I mean, if we could try and define someone at fault, I would say it's Max. Um, you know, they've come together a couple of times now this year. Um, oh, I mean, they came together earlier in the race as well. So maybe <laughs> a few times is more accurate. Yeah. Uh, and, it has net cost Max way more than Lewis. Like he mm. would be, if he could, like, obviously it's very hard to, in the moment. And, you know, sometimes in Formula One, it's like, you need to take this opportunity. 
you might not get it back in a, at Monza with you know similar cars. Um, that's sort of the case. You know, if he can jump Hamilton, I think Hamilton's coming. You know, he just out of the pits. You know, relative refresh. Yeah. Um, this is your opportunity to jump him. Um, so you got to take it or, or not. But yeah, Max's sort of judgment issues on on when to to go for it, the sort of fifty fifties, has cost him. Yeah, at least one or two race wins this year. A, a very solid podium at minimum. Um, at Monza. Um. But I think the the sausage curbs never been a fan. Um, the ones at Monza or the ones at uh, I think it's Hockenheim or the Nurburgring, um, the German Grand Prix. Never been a fan of sort of those and sort of the effect they have on the cars. Like I know why they're there to deter. Um, <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, th- there's also uh, I'm not sure whether they're still there, but they're in the second sector in Hungary. Um, oh, okay. one of the, one of the chicanes there, but, um, I think, yeah, obviously the reason how he flips up over the back of Hamilton's car is because of the sausage curb. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, it's becoming a recurring incident between these two that like, I think Hamilton's a little bit more calm in these situations. He, when he feels like he's ahead, he's not going to give the space. Um, Max feels like he's always entitled to the space and that's sort of like the clash there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think Max needs to be a little bit more tempered because he's the one losing out because of these collisions much significantly more than Hamilton is. Yeah. All right, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, talk too long about the incident because we, we haven't really <laughs> talked too much about the actual, you know, like I was saying, I was saying earlier, um, yeah, McLaren had a really good weekend, ignoring the race for a second, which you can't, but ignoring the race, Second and third in the sprint as well. Yep. Uh, no, second and third or third and fourth? Uh, third and fourth. And then Ricardo was, el- then they were elevated to second and third because of the Bottas penalty. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. So, the, yeah, second and, th- oh, sorry, third and fourth in the sprint. So Ricardo got the point for that. Yep. And then obviously with Bottas's subsequent penalty for the engine, booted up to second and third. So they were having a really, really strong weekend anyway the qualifying times in actual qualifying before the sprint race, Ricardo was like four hundredths. What is it behind uh, Norris who, and like a lot of that has been, a lot of been made about the qualifying gap between the two. Um, but since your yeah. hit piece, it's, it's, oh, it's three, three and O oh and a race win. Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, let's, let's talk about Ricardo's win um, briefly. Like what, what he actually did in the race, because the race was pretty much won that first corner. Pretty much. Although it wasn't like necessarily foregone. Like, a, I no, it wasn't foregone. I mean, on, a lot of it became foregone as incident after incident started piling in, but yeah. Um, you certainly have to work for it. It wasn't just the, you know, it didn't fall into his lap. No. Um, if you're overtaking the championship leader for a race win, like there's nothing to be scared. Like it's arguably Ricardo's most impressive win. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, it's it's one of his eight most impressive races. Um, <laughs> like, obviously, the the Monaco where he had the um, yeah the engine the the, the, the engine where um, my my favorite is the the Chinese Grand Prix where he's in sixth and then he's got the jump on tires and then he just comes through the field. Incre- like one of the greatest overtakes I've ever seen on Bottas. 
Um, that's my favourite Ricardo win. But this is, you know, just the the feat of it in itself um, to to win out on pace. Yeah, um, and the narrative genuinely. helps the narrative that's been building around. Oh, of course, him. that it, yeah, it's sort of. Well, I mean, he needed this so much. If you you know you pick someone on the grid to to win a race that really needed it. Um, I mean, barring like you know, a horse winning the race, <laughs> um, Ricardo was the guy, right? Like, yep. um, I think it was important that he was in front of Norris as well. Like, even if they, even if he hadn't won the race, if it was two, three McLaren and he was second, I think that was big for him. Just given the way that Norris had an incredible start to the season Ricardo was still sort of acclimatizing to the car. And even now it's, it's still not, you know, you're still sort of hesitant, you know? Yeah. Um, Did you see like, the, uh, Oh no, sorry. You finish your point. I was going to say like, you know, Norris was still ahead of him in, like you said, in the, in the qualifying um, granted, it was, you know, literally Miniscule. milliseconds. Um, but yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah. No, so I was just going to say, obviously you would have heard the radio stuff throughout the race. And it's come out after, you know, Norris saying, you know, can Daniel hurry up? Came out after Ricardo was maybe not going as fast as he was to keep Norris within the DRS train to help him in his defense against, uh, I forget forget who it was now, Uh, Hamilton. Norris Uh, defending against Hamilton and then defending against Perez and Perez at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then obviously pulling away at the end. And then Norris, the cheeky, you know, are, are you sure this is best if I don't go try and overtake him? <laughs> like, yeah, well, I mean, little... it's, a, it's a racing driver, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah but like your little shit. The win is in <laughs> front <off>. of you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, he's going to, he's still the, the McLaren, you know, he's he's more McLaren than Daniel is, obviously. Like, it's, yeah. the, he's through a junior. So obviously, he's going to look for the, like, for as much as I say, oh, you know, people are like, oh, I'm really impressed by Lando playing the team game. Like, I didn't really, it's not, his sort of character of what he's you know, shown people to not do that. So mm. it was just sort of expecting that. But then also like, yeah, I think Ricardo, like you said, it probably looked after his tires a bit better. Um, like I was saying earlier, I wasn't as worried as maybe I should have been about Bottas sort of charging through on. New I mean, I remember given. messaging you being like, holy shit, Bottas is going to catch them all up. Yeah. And, and Martin was like, it was a full, I mean, He's not, I don't know whether he's not the biggest fan of Ricardo, but he just seems to think he's an afterthought. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. But yeah, Brundle's just thinking like, oh, Valtteri could be on track to win this race. I think he's going to win this race. It wasn't even, no, it wasn't even Brundle there. He wasn't there. Wasn't it? Was um, he there? No, it wasn't it Deresta in comms or, um, I don't think, well, it wasn't Brundle, was it? But Button did Button. the Dutch Grand Prix. He did the, he did the Dutch Grand Prix. Oh, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Um, I'm pretty sure it was Martin. If not, Crofty and insert Deresta, Davidson, Chantock, um, Rosberg. I forget <laughs> who it was. I, I swear it wasn't Brundle, but I, you know, I think, I don't know. The point is, whoever it was, <laughs> didn't, didn't yeah, like Yeah, whoever it was is just convinced that Bottas is going to charge through the field. I'm just thinking, like, he's taken an awful lot out of these tyres that, you know, with it's been an issue all weekend. Like, what's the degradation going to look like? Um, and Ricardo seems to be managing his, like, granted, he's, he's, you know, he's, let's be honest, he's probably not quicker than Norris in that car. No. Um, but he's managing the tires. Um, 
and yeah, it's, I was starting to think like this is looking good. Then Perez gets a penalty, and I'm thinking like, yeah, okay, we're we're in here as long as the car can get home. This is this is it. Like it's going to happen, <laughs> um, and just sort of. I mean, it, it happened when I sort of not when I least expected it, but like I didn't think I expected it this early. Um, yeah, it's wild. Obviously, another another shoey. Um, very happy ah, for Zach Brown as well. Yes. Seems like a pretty genuine guy. Yeah. Um, and you know he was there when he sort of took over when McLaren were at their absolute lowest. Um, you know, became a bit of a joke. Um, yeah. So just a good, great thing for the team. Really, real, real the most fun team on the grid, and that stretches back before they got Ricardo. Um, yeah. So yeah. I wonder. I did wonder whether because I believe Bottas was on the podium the last time. Ricardo yes. won a he's, race. He's always seemed to avoid or it on the he's podium. Just... Yeah, he's always avoided that shoey. It's going to happen. He's he was always sort of standing there on the podium, smirking, just making like trying to be so innocuous that Daniel doesn't notice him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I was sitting there watching, and I I, I was wondering. I knew Daniel was going to pass the shoe around. It's just it's the nature oh, cool. of the yeah. Australian when the shoe comes off, everyone must sip. <laughs> and then you know, Lando pretended he didn't like it, but I think he liked it. And then Zach Brown, you know, he was getting into it, you know, the full, I don't know what part of America he's from, but I'm guessing it's one of the ones that likes alcohol. Um, <laughs> all, all of them. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, Valtteri's just in the, in the back. Just, uh, please don't notice me. That's a, another good, obviously, great weekend for Valtteri in, in, in total, but... Uh, was it DC David Coulthard asking him about um, the the incident? And Dash was just sort of standing in front of the screen, <laughs> laughing. I was watching that, and I'm thinking, why are you asking him this? I mean, you, you see if you can get a reaction out of him, but I, yeah. I like now that we're at a point where Bottas, that like Russell has the seat, we can just enjoy Bottas being Bottas. <laughs> yes. Uh, so it's. A, major image rehabilitation going on here yeah the, like i said the the fastest lap and then this it's been two weekends in a row now so we're expecting stuff yeah all right i think that's exhausted everything i've got about monza uh yeah pretty much i mean looking down the rest of the rest of the grid george russell another another two points he just seems to be racking them up now um Turned out to be a decent-ish weekend for Ferrari. Um, maybe not so before the, before the incident in front of them. Yeah. Oh, um, we forgot something. We forgot Ricardo fastest lap. Yeah, that too. Uh, he got it on the last lap. Yeah. So everyone's so, saying it was it was being sl- it was slow. Yeah. They yeah, shoved that. <laughs> we ended up with what twenty-seven points for the weekend. Yeah. I, th- I think that's the most that a driver has ever taken from a weekend, given the the way that sprint qualifying works. Yeah. I think well, Bottas Ham- Hamilton. Got- uh, what eighteen? Because Bottas won the sprint, uh, yeah. Yeah, Bottas got eighteen um, at the British Grand Prix. I think Hamilton took twenty-seven, um, also for the win, fastest lap, and sprint win. Uh, actually, did he get the sprint? Oh, he might have taken more than twenty-seven. Actually. But, oh um, yeah, yeah, I don't. I didn't watch a twenty-seven point sprint. weekend. In, yeah, insane. yeah, wow. All, I mean, the problem with the sprint again, it's the second sprint we've seen, but the problem with the sprint for Australians is it's just on, it's just on so damn late. It's on like <laughs> 3 or 4 a.m. in the morning. Yeah, I didn't watch it. Um, I think the issue for me, like building on what I said last time with the sprint, is that the tyre degradation doesn't Hang really on, come wait, into it. No, sorry, it wasn't. It was only at 1 a.m. I did watch it. I stayed up for it. I mean, I, 
Because I remember I, I stayed up. I stayed up all the way. I stayed up really late because I stayed up because Chelsea was right after it. So I was like, ah, this works out. <laughs> As you were. But, but yeah, with the with the sprint, um, I think a couple of drivers have recommended this that maybe they try and get like a hyper soft tire that, and maybe add a pit stop into the the sprint race. But then you know F one don't really want to call it a race, so adding like a pit stop would make it a race like it's obviously a race um <laughs> it's not a race i don't, I, I don't know um i mean daniel seems to perform really well at the sprint weekends um and he's been like the biggest net gainer because of the sprints um <laughs> in, in qualifying so i mean keep him coming in that sense yeah but um i mean i'm just a fan of the usual qualifying it usually presents yeah. it. even even the dullest q3 presents at least a compelling five minutes at the end. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Right. Now, I have not, like, just to finish off here, I believe you have some thoughts about the new uh, Schumacher documentary on the network. The network. Well, you're not allowed to say it because it would be sponsorship. Uh, contractually, I cannot say Netflix. Oh, shit. Mm. <laughs> yes. That's your, that's, that, there's your streaming deal with Stan in the can. <laughs> Uh, Paramount, yeah, Paramount Plus is in tatters. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I watched it over the last couple of days. Um, it's, yeah, I I prefer this style a little bit more than Drive to Survive. Um, like sort of the historical lookbacks. Um, I guess because you, you forget about stuff. Um, also, I wasn't alive for part of this. Um, also, the, I guess it focuses on like the whereas drive to survive, you know, you sort of as you know, uh, as the documentary, as it, please <laughs> the documentary um, for as, for as much as that is, you know, inter- an interesting sort of semi behind the scenes. Look, I don't think it's as, as, as behind the scenes as I'd probably like it to be or yeah. as inside formula one, it sort of serves its purpose as just a big ad for F1. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, with that, that's more just a recap of the, the season, really, that you follow week week in, week out. Um, whereas, yeah, the something like Schumacher and the Senna documentary that came out, um, I think it was like 2010. Uh, there's a very good one on Bruce McCrum, uh, Bruce McLaren, <laughs> Bruce McCrum. <laughs> does, Bruce does, McCrum. He, does he know Harry McClary? <laughs> <laughs> but yes, the McLaren one's very good. Um, I know there's a behind the. There's a behind-the-scenes one at Williams uh, and uh, a McLaren one as well. Yeah. Um, also, something like Ford and Ferrari. Anyway, they're interesting. Um, yeah. But yeah, with the Schumacher, I, I mean, I found it in general interesting because it's, it's just an odd situation because it, I found a lot of people were using, was, even though he's like he's he's still alive, but it's a very weird situation. Um, cause obviously he's been in that sort of vegetative state for the last eight, eight ish years. Um, so it's it is been sort that of long. A, I think tw- end of 2013. Jesus. You, so, you keep yeah, going, I'm looking it up. Yeah. It's sort of a weird thing where, you know, a lot of people that knew him talk about him as like, oh, Michael was this amazing, you know, force of nature in the car. Um, yeah, 2013. Only really his wife at times and his son Mick um, would say sort of, my dad is. So I, know, I found that sort of interesting. It's just sort of a touchy, odd um, 
thing there, but also in general, the way that it only really deals with, it goes for two hours and the first sort of hour and a half is him trying to win his first world championship at Ferrari. So it only really deals with the period of sort of um, very briefly touches on before formula one and trying to get into formula one. Um, But then sort of his years at Benetton in the mid nineties winning a couple of world titles, but then him trying to become the Michael Schumacher that's synonymous with Ferrari and trying to win the first world title at Ferrari. That's sort of like the core here and everything else is sort of very finely touched on. Um, So I found that sort of odd in the way that it was sort of marketed as this big, I guess maybe the last dance has conditioned people to look at sports documentaries like this different, where it's like, (laughs) we're going to get a complete story of everything. Careful. You sound like Um, AFL media. (laughs) Or NRL media. Oh, don't get me started on that. (laughs) So yeah, maybe that, maybe that just conditioned to look different at that, but I did find it odd that they sort of, they really washed over uh, basically him winning five world titles in five years at Ferrari. That was over in about five minutes after working towards the first one for the first hour and a half. And then, you know, there was like a, a brief minute or two on his oh, by the way, he won four more. <laughs> there was a yeah, brief, brief couple of minutes about him deciding that he wanted to return to racing uh, at Mercedes. Um, there was, you know, very little, um, they, they didn't mention Rubens Barrichello once. I think I saw him like once or twice. This what? is a guy that was, you know, he's number two for five years. Um, oh, obviously the controversies with, with him sort of moving over for Michael in, in a couple of races um, in terms of the championship. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I found that sort of odd-ish, but also like in that sort of sense, like, they didn't necessarily shy away from the controversies as well. Um, like his comings together with Damon Hill and Jacques Villeneuve that were sort of title defining. Um, and the one year that he got disqualified from the championship completely for trying, to, for trying that. Um, so obviously, you know, it was like all documentaries, you, you need to look at who is making them and, you know, with obviously it was made with the family's blessing. Um <laughs> but I find it odd just sort of the timing, like not to be too grim, but I find like, why has it come out now? I don't, I don't know. It's just an odd situation with him. Um, it's very tragic, obviously. And, you know, the, the stuff with Mick at the end talking about like, he, you know, he'd give anything to just talk about like his situation in formula one now with his dad. Um, and the stuff with Michael's wife is very, you know, um, it's very sad. Um, yeah. But I mean, yeah, obviously I, I would recommend people watch it. I think it's very good if you're not necessarily familiar with that sort of late 90s, early 2000s, before Michael Schumacher became the Ferrari giant um, sort of era of Formula One. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, obviously it touches on the the death of Ayrton Senna um, and how that sort of played on Michael. I think F1 was robbed of potentially like its greatest sort of title fight and, and rivals of any era. I think had, had Ayrton lived, there's probably two, three, four, five years there of those two fighting at the top of formula one. Um, you know, those, those two 
very similar yet you know you look at Senna he's the, the sort of the flair drives with a lot of heart um, whereas Michael much more methodical uh, uncompromising everything to win you know um, sort of drives with, I guess if, if Ayrton's the, the heart then Schumacher's like driving with the head um, so yeah it touches on stuff like that and it is interesting um, but yeah also I guess I found it interesting who who they decided to to get speak also. Um, like I think you'd probably be interested to know that Martin Brundle wasn't in it. Oh, okay. even though he was, yeah, um, he he drove with Michael at the beginning at Benetton. Yeah, um, and then but yeah, they had Damon Hill. Uh, Mark Weber is in it for some reason, <laughs> and and he's got a he's got a very odd accent. Mark Weber, I think he's been living in Europe a bit too long. But I, when he started speaking, I'm like, is this guy Italian or is he Australian? I can't quite. Is that Mark Weber? <laughs> <laughs> and but then I don't really understand why they were interviewing Mark Weber. Like, you know, obviously he drove at the same time as Michael, but you know, Mark came into F1 in 2002. Michael was already the behemoth in the sport. Um, I mean, arguably, arguably bigger than F1 and arguably bigger than a driver has ever been um, for, you know, for as much as is made of sort of in the documentary about we've signed Michael to bring Ferrari back to the glory. There, there is no greater height that Ferrari has ever had than Michael Schumacher five years in a row. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, th- I thought it was decent. I-, I would recommend people watching it, certainly. Um, and I mean, yeah, that-, that era of Formula One is sort of when I started becoming aware of it. Um, and yeah, I'm just big fan of the screeching cars. A um, bit more wheel-to-wheel. But yeah, good fun. Yeah, obviously, you know, you know me and my general <laughs> uh, lack of watching anything. Um I'll add it to my list, <laughs> which is growing by the day and with no visible sight of it shrinking. But uh, yeah, that brings us to the end of another Formula One retrospective. Uh, obviously, you are now a fully credentialed member of Beyond the Fence Media. So, Trying to take over, apparently. Well, yeah, you've supposedly got something else in the works, but I haven't seen it, so we won't talk, we won't talk about that yet. Uh, you, you will be coming on later in... Well, probably earlier next month, actually. Uh, we've got a full ambitious project that I won't fully reveal just in case that doesn't get off the ground. <laughs> I like how you could say that, but you could still tease me being back on sometime next month because it's going to happen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, 100% you'll be. After Ricardo's win at Sochi, you will have you back. Oh, there we go. No, Bottas is going to win at Sochi. Yeah, Kvyat's going to. Kvyat is the real winner at Sochi. <laughs> Just quietly, Bottas is insanely good at Sochi. Um, there you go. Probably the second most boring track after poor Ricard. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, you're from the internet. Uh, Tim R.A., we all know it by now. Yes, we do. Uh, and obviously, yeah, you can follow me at Ben S. Quag. The uh, podcast is at Beyond T Fence, uh, beyondthefence.com.au. Find it on Spotify, Apple. Google, uh, where else? Stitcher, I guess. Uh, Stitcher is like people going to the the post office to pay taxes. 
Or like in the olden days when you'd have to ring the shop at the end of the street to take your messages. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, that's it for us. For the Stitcher episode. fans are going to be. <laughs> yeah, what, gonna... what are they going to do? Send me a telegram? Get out of here. <laughs> uh, yes, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.